Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is a sermon I preached at Sojourn East in Louisville, Kentucky. All right, our scripture this morning, it comes from three passages from Isaiah 12, 6, Luke 2, 8 through 11, and Romans 15, 13. And if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Morning. Scott and I didn't plan this, but I am going to start by talking about the movie Elf, um, because it was actually 20 years ago uh, that Elf uh, first came out, and it was an immediate success, and it's continued to be, and for many of us, we would say it's in like the pantheon of all-time great Christmas movies. Our family has watched it almost every year to kind of kick off the Christmas season. If you don't know the movie, we do recommend it, Um, but uh, just a super brief recap, you have this... Uh, baby that accidentally ends up at the North Pole. He's a human, raised by elves. And then when he, he decides to go back to New York to find his biological father, and he doesn't quite fit in, as you can imagine, and it's Will Ferrell's the character. character. And he, um, you know, basically, like a lot of Christmas stories, he brings his, you know, exuberant kind of Christmas cheer brings uh, some life change to some people. So it's a great story. But why is the movie so good? Why do so many of us love it? So, well, well, great cast, good story, very quotable lines all throughout it. And I think especially because the main character, Buddy the Elf, really pictures for us an unadulterated, pure, innocent joy. Really a kind of Christmas cheer that is contagious. It really is. So like when he first gets to New York, he's never been there. Everything is exciting. Elevator buttons, people handing out flyers, revolving doors. If you've seen the movie, you're picturing all these things, right? And singing aloud. And what we see through Buddy, I think, is we can see the world in a way that most of us have lost. We can see the world through the eyes of a child, through the eyes of innocence, where it is a world of delights and a world of beauty. And he really models for us this kind of joy. And that's, I think, a lot of the power of that story. Now, (coughs) excuse me, even though Elf is a completely secular movie, there's no sort of Christian element to it at all, what's amazing about it and what's good about it is that it really taps into this fundamental Christian idea, this fundamental Christmas idea, and that is of joy. Joy is rightly associated with Christmas as we've been, this whole liturgy today has really focused on that. And if you're a Christian, 
I hope you don't get into the place, and maybe you have, but today's a day to change, where you get annoyed with all the people that are celebrating Christmas who don't even maybe know who Jesus is and don't even understand the Christmas story. I understand that might annoy you, but let me encourage you to think about it a little differently that there's something really beautiful about the fact that even people who don't know God get to experience the good, at least in part, of what Christmas is. This is what we call common grace that God's goodness and love is so great that it overflows to all of his creatures, even those who are in ignorance or rebellion of him. This is how good and loving and full of joy and love he himself is. And so what that means is all over our society today, for people who are part of Christ and those who are not, you see these little nuggets of common grace throughout in songs, in Christmas cards, in every imaginable piece of material and wood that Hobby Lobby is offering to us, we will see these little words that are deeply Christian words. Hope, love, peace, and of course, joy. And here at Sojourn, we follow a very long Christian tradition where we take these four Sundays that lead up to Advent, that we call Advent, that lead up to Christmas, that are a time of waiting, they're a time of anticipation. Just like a kid waiting for the Christmas presents, we take these four Sundays to prepare ourselves and to build anticipation, really, of what we are celebrating at Christmas, which is the life-changing, the, the world-changing event of God becoming a human, of the incarnation of the Son of God in Jesus. And so we, you know, normally what we do here at Sojourn is we preach through books of the Bible and we think that's the best, but we also recognize there's a lot of value in setting aside certain Sundays to remember certain things. And so every Advent season, we do a little different thing. This year, we're doing something very traditional, and you've been seeing it here, and you heard it in the service. We are really focusing on the traditional four candles of Advent. And each of these four candles represent an idea, a truth, a word that is deeply biblical to explore. Pastor Kevin's done a great job. I've talked to a lot of you who have really been benefited from the last couple of weeks, especially he talked about hope two weeks ago, and then last week about peace, Next week will be about love, and today we get to talk about the third candle, the pink candle here, which is joy. Now, why? Why is joy such a deeply Christian word? Well, it's because it is all over the Bible. I had Scott just read a few of the over 400 verses we could have looked at that have joy and rejoicing and gladness. It is a deeply biblical idea. <clears throat> For example, joy fills all of creation. We see that in the Bible that both creation and the new creation are described as having a river whose streams make glad the city of God, Psalm 46, 4 says. God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Bible tells us, are filled with joy such that in love and joy together, that when they, the, the, the one God in three persons looks upon creation, looks upon you and me, it says that he sings. He sings with joy. 
over creation. And again, there are so many places we could look throughout the Old Testament. We see people filled with joy, longing for joy, praising God with joy. I want to read just these verses that we just heard a moment ago to, to, to get just a little taste of it. Isaiah 12, 6, shout aloud, sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. <clears throat> I don't know what you think about the God of the Bible, whether you know him or even if you are a Christian, it may be easy to forget that the God of the Bible never presents himself and the faith of the Bible is never this dour, fear-driven, head down, trying to appease the deities. That's never how the Bible, Old or New Testament, presents God. The Bible always presents God as full of joy and inviting those who believe in him, people made in his image, to actually have joy themselves. That's not what most religions do, this joy focus. And then when you get to the New Testament, it continues. Joy is the constant theme and focus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his, his letter to the Romans, very famous, he ends it with this prayer that uses three of the, of the candle themes. Let me read for you Romans 15, 13 again. He says, may the God of hope <clears throat> fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's, these are just two examples of all over the Bible. This is how God is, how he invites us to relate to him. But of course, it also is deeply connected with Christmas. Let me read for you Luke 2 again, these famous words. <clears throat> and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news, gospel, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this is just a sample of this constant theme of joy in Christianity and in Christmas, but I think we still need to ask, okay, we, where you hear the word all the time, but what does it mean? What is this Christian joy that the Bible is constantly telling us about that we're hearing all around in culture? Well, today on this third Sunday of Advent, as you've heard in the liturgy of our, all of our songs, we're thinking about joy, and I just wanna ask and answer two simple questions. First is, what is this Christian joy? And then secondly, if it's that important, how do we find it? How do we cultivate it? Especially when we all know that our lives have lots of stresses and anxieties and disappointments and fears, including at Christmas time. So what is this Christian joy? And then how do we really cultivate it and maintain it? So here's the first question. What is this Christian joy? <clears throat> this last week, I have really enjoyed thinking about, no pun intended, really enjoyed thinking about uh, this theme and this idea. And I happen to be spending a lot of time with people this week in pastoral visits. And so I asked quite a few people as I was meeting with them about other things, like, what do you think joy is? And one person, and sharing this with permission, shared a really interesting exercise that I'd commend to you as well, that someone had done with him and he's done with others. He said, if you had to, you know, find on your phone three pictures of your life, from your life, any stage of your life, that you would say, that's a moment of joy, what would those be? Now, we don't have time to 
hear everybody's answer today, and I'm not going to, you know, spend much more time on it. But I just want to bring that up because that's a that's an interesting question to give them. What would be those three pictures? I encourage you. Maybe that'd be a good thing to talk to your family or friends at lunch or or sometime. What would be the pictures of joy? And the reason I'm bringing that up here is because what I think that begins to help us see is that when we think about what joy is, yes, it probably has some positive emotions to it. It should. But I think when we ask about really what gives us joy in kind of a capital J joy sense, we're really asking what gives us life? What makes life meaningful? What, what kind of things of our life, even if it's complicated and nuanced and there's brokenness in it, but what is, what is it that really gives you life? And that's a first good step towards starting to think about what is Christian joy? Because Christian joy certainly includes positive emotions, as I said, I mean, the idea that something be joyful that is just dour and, yes, it's my duty, that's obviously not joy. Yet, it's also more than just positive emotions. It's something deeper than that. And that really leads to one of the questions that I've been asking myself for a while, and maybe you have as well. What's the relationship between joy and happiness? What's the relationship between joy and happiness? I don't know if you've asked yourself that. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of pastors and authors and others say something to the effect where happiness and joy are pitted against each other, where they might say something like, uh, God doesn't promise us happiness, but he does promise us joy, or we shouldn't think or care about happiness, we should only think about joy. And I understand if you've heard that or been taught that or maybe said it yourself, but I want to say to you today, I disagree with that, and I don't think that's a helpful way to frame the relationship of happiness and joy, and here's why. While on the one hand, like I said, you know, happiness is not the same thing as joy, and we'll explore that here in a minute, happiness is not a bad thing. Maybe you've been taught, or maybe you picked up that somehow happiness is a bad thing, something to be suspicious of, or something to shun, but friends, delight, soul deep pleasure, food, drink, sunsets, laughter, presents, reunions, friends, decorations, Bing Crosby, Johnny Cash, Taylor Swift, whoever it is for you, golf, football games, gingerbread music, or gingerbread houses, Christmas music, gingerbread music, whatever that is, um, <laughs> new drink at Starbucks. All these things, all these things are good. And the Bible says that all good things ultimately come from God. There is no good that does not come from God because he is goodness. And so, again, in a common grace way and in a particular way for us as Christians, all the things that are good and make you happy are actually in some ultimate sense from God. He's the author of all good. And yet, at the same time, it's important to understand that joy isn't identical with happiness. They aren't just synonyms for each other because you see, happiness, where that word comes from, is what happens or happenstance. What happiness means is that's when your circumstances are good, when your happenstance is positive. And yet, clearly, the Bible, in a <clears throat> kind of shocking way, regularly talks about joy 
and goodness and flourishing in a way that is not just based on circumstances. Think about Jesus' famous teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount, the first teaching in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. He stands up and he starts his teaching of what the kingdom of, of heaven is like with nine statements about what true joy is or flourishing or true happiness, if you want. And so first we note that he cares about that and that God cares about that. But then what's unexpected is how he defines what that true joy or what that flourishing or what that true happiness looks like. Everything he lists there is not what you and I would expect and not really what we'd probably desire initially, would not say are happy happenstances. He talks about that true flourishing or, or joy comes to us in the midst of having a poverty of spirit. True joy comes to us even in the midst of mourning. True joy comes to us in the midst of when we often don't get our way and we <clears throat> give up some sense of our rights by forgiving others and showing mercy to those who have wronged us. And true joy is even found, Jesus says, when we're maligned and misrepresented and persecuted. And so we begin to see, okay, he care, God cares about our joy, but he's not defining it merely as circumstantial. And if you keep reading the New Testament, you see the same thing. Peter, James, John, Paul, all the other apostles, they all speak the same way, that we should consider it joy when we experience hardship and persecution, that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering, that we can praise God with hearts of joy while in prison, while being shipwrecked, being treated unjustly, having our plans thwarted. So clearly we see that the Bible's sense of joy is more than circumstances. And I know for many of you here, I spent a lot of time with a lot of you and I just know your stories. Many of you have known that even in this year, the loss of a child or the loss of parents or other loved ones, loss of job, unhappy medical diagnosis. And yet, by faith, many of you have found that even in the thing that you would not want for yourself or even maybe your worst enemy, there is a kind of profound and paradoxical and even mysterious joy that can be found. Not a mere happiness, but something more. And so what is this thing? Well, here's the frame I'd like to kind of help you think about what this Christian and really Christmas joy is. If, if on the one hand, one error would be to say, that happiness equals joy, that I'm joyful when everything goes well. The other on the other side would be maybe what the tendency of some is to say that happiness has nothing to do with joy. Joy is just this sort of, you know, dutiful, still trusting in God. I, I want to suggest to you that the, the truth and the, the wisdom of God is, is here in the middle. And here's the image I'd like you to think of. I'd like you to think of joy as this large Christian, this large house that Christians live in, this large house, and in that house, there is a room, a big room, that's called happiness. And so whenever we are experiencing good things and happiness, we are still inside of joy, but even when we are outside of that room, we're still in this larger, more profound thing that we can call Christian joy that the relationship of those things <clears throat> is not in opposition, 
but one is inside the other. And as I've continued to reflect on what joy is, one of the things that really struck me as we think about the Advent candles too, is that these are all deeply, these ideas, these truths, these experiences are all deeply interwoven and organically connected to each other because there's a sense in which joy is like the, the positive experience of peace now rooted in the hope in the future. Do you see that? It's like peace, joy, and hope, and all of that is surrounded by God's love. But it's like the, this kind of thing that is joy is there is something that is a kind of peace, even in the midst of difficulties, that's rooted in a certainty of hope. And so these ideas are all given to us as a gift and as an experience to understand. You see, because joy is not just like this super dose of happiness that just lasts longer than the other regular doses. It's, it's not. It's, it's a confidence and it's a freedom that's rooted in a relationship with God. Joy is knowing that there actually is good and that more good is coming. There is good and more good is coming because God is good. He is completely in control of all of your circumstances, all of my circumstances, even when they're not what we would choose. And as I continue to think about this, especially this week, it really dawned on me, you know what the opposite of joy is? The opposite of joy is not so much sadness, but I think the opposite of joy is actually cynicism and skepticism. Cynicism and skepticism are things that we all experience at some point, and some people, it gets very ingrained in them, But cynicism and skepticism are a blight on our souls. They are a destructive way that we learn. And do you know what's underneath cynicism and skepticism? It's fear. It's fear and hurt and disappointment. And cynicism and skepticism are ways that we learn to protect ourselves from disappointment. And that's the opposite of joy because they they give us a kind of dark pleasure this cynicism and skepticism in our souls but they're really weakness and they are bondage and they will never bring us life i don't say that to shame anyone i mean i certainly have moments of cynicism and skepticism as well i say that to all of us to to open our eyes a little bit to recognize that's the opposite of the joy that you long for that is the opposite of what we were made for because joy can actually acknowledge disappointment and loss, but know that there's something and someone bigger. There is good and there is more good to come. In fact, it was interesting to think about this, cynicism, skepticism, that have you ever noticed how many of our Christmas stories, even completely secular ones, are where a person goes, they're converted from cynicism to joy. You ever thought about that? Buddy, the elf, to some degree, he's joyful and his father, Walter, has to kind of experience a change. But I think there's even more striking ones. You think of the Grinch, whose you know, heart, he was wounded, and then his heart uh, grows, whatever, three times the size or two times the size. Um, it's a Wonderful Life, even, where you have uh, the main character who has become kind of cynical and he rediscovers it. Of course, Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, 
a guy who's, again, out of wounds. He has become cynical, and I love, somebody reminded me that in the, the great Patrick Stewart version of the live action of it, that um, from the book, he has to learn to laugh again because he'd forgotten how to laugh, and he's smiling all Christmas morning. Or the Santa Claus, remember the old Tim Allen one? He's like a hardened toy salesman, isn't that what he is, right? But he comes to have joy. And of course, die hard, right? <laughs> Swaying in on the great debate, right? We see joy, Christian joy and Christmas joy, is the freedom we Christians can find by not taking ourselves too seriously, but living in confidence that God is good and that God is actually in control, even of all the things that happen to us. I'm not sure if you <clears throat> have heard of the, the man G.K. Chesterton. He lived in the latter part of the 1800s into the first part of the 1900s. He was a, an English Christian, towering intellect, wrote a quadrillion things, had a massive impact on lots of people, including C.S. Lewis. He's considered you know, one of the great intellects of English Christianity and beyond. He was six foot four, 300 pounds, just this giant of a person and was known as a person of great mirth. That he loved to get on the floor and you know, play games with children. And so he had, you would not want to cross him intellectually. And at the same time, he was known as a man of great joy. Well, I was reading a bunch of Chesterton this week and there was this uh, great description of him by somebody kind of introducing him. I want to give you this quote because I think it's a really beautiful picture of Christian joy. This is someone writing about Chesterton. It said, in him was a humor akin to humility, a humor that delighted in life, but refused to take the enigma, the mystery of being human too seriously. A joyous humor with a sane estimate of itself and others, a holy humor, and here's the key, that lived lightly because it trusted God for maintaining the universe. That's Christian joy. This freedom, not a denial of pain, not a denial of suffering, not a, you know, putting your head in the sand and acting like everything's okay, but actually an ability to live with a little bit more lightness, not a cynicism and skepticism, because we remind ourselves that God really is maintaining the universe and he's good. And I think this is, you know, my feeble attempt at an explanation of Christian joy, but I think what is very clear is that it's at the epicenter of the Christmas story. That's why we're celebrating it. The entry of God into the world in the, in the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus, is the source of great joy for us, for believers especially, and even in a kind of overflowing way in common grace to the world. So if it's that important, then the second question I said I wanted to ask and answer is, so if Christian joy is that important, how do we find it? And how do we cultivate it? Especially if maybe you're not feeling that today. Maybe you are feeling cynical or skeptical or just sad. Maybe just disappointed. How do you find and cultivate this Christian joy? Well, the first thing to say is that joy is not something we can just whip up in ourselves. It's not just a personality type. It's not just for successful Christians who have their lives together. It's not something that we can just try harder to have or, or to fake. 
In fact, joy is notoriously elusive. Here's the thing. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. This Christian joy, this, this sense of settledness, this sense of peace rooted in hope in the midst of whatever's happening, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember Paul's famous letter? Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. Galatians, from in the letter to the Galatians, in the fifth chapter, he's kind of coming to the end of the letter, and he wants to describe in a kind of really clear way, how do you know who's a Christian and who's not, for yourself and for others? And his answer is that there are certain ways of inhabiting the world, there are certain character traits that the Christian imperfectly, but in a growing way, will manifest over time versus those who are not. And so he lists them, and he uses the metaphor of fruit, so that these certain ways, these certain experiences, these certain habits are fruits that come from being born again by the Holy Spirit, from the tree of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And do you remember what they are? It's striking that the first four are actually the reverse order of the first four candles, I think. Love, joy, peace, patience, which I think is what hope is about. Faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. These fruits of the Spirit are things that God has to do in us. We can't make them happen in ourselves. And so the first thing to say about how do you find Christian joy is that I want to say you have to be born again. Doesn't mean you can't ever experience happiness in the world if you're not a Christian. But the kind of deep, profound, sustaining, hope-rooted joy is something that is, comes from God. And if you don't know that, there's an invitation to open yourself to God because it is a gift of the Spirit. But for those of us who do know it, and imperfectly, I know all of us practice joy imperfectly, for those of us who are Christians, how do we then cultivate this more? Again, maybe you're at just a hard place in your life, and that's okay. How do we cultivate and develop this? Well, to kind of bring this together, I want to invite you to to continuously and you know, pursue joy in two ways that I'll lay out for us as horizontal joy and vertical joy. Horizontal joy and vertical joy. And let me explain what I mean by that. Horizontal joy, which we can define as joy in God's creation. There's this nice little French phrase that we use in English some as well, a joie de vivre, which means something like the, the joy of life or the joy in life. It means rejoicing, taking pleasure in, re relishing any good and beautiful part of creation. Whether it's the perfect combination of a crispy barbecued crust on a juicy rib or the creamy blueberry goodness of a well-poured cup of Ethiopian Yurgachev coffee, or a clever word play that makes the poem or the story or the song end just right, or a great story or movie that leads you to tears, or Christmas lights in a cozy room with friends. These and a million other things are gifts from God. They're little appetizers of joy that God is inviting us into the feast of his kingdom. And what do we do about that? Well, our job is to pay attention, to slow down, to reject cynicism and skepticism, which again, come from wounds. I understand that. 
when you see yourself being cynical or skeptical, even cynical or skeptical about some good that's in front of you, know that that's a fear and a, and a wound that God can heal. But to look upon the world, to laugh, to have mirth, to give thanks to God and to give thanks to others because those are the kind of acts, those intentional acts of giving thanks, practicing gratitude toward God and others, that frees up the frozen and clogged lines in our hearts often. And I know many of you maybe didn't grow up in a home where those are practiced and you've just kind of learned to embody this, this cynicism, skepticism. God's inviting you today to look upon all that he's made with joy. Every time I see the bumper sticker, uh, wag more, bark less, I'm glad that I saw it. <laughs> and I'm reminded, what a simple little piece of wisdom. And for Christians, we definitely can and should wag more and bark less. Because we have every reason to have peace and hope and this true Christian joy. Now, again, I realize there are different personality types there are you know, different experiences we've had. There are different seasons of our lives where we think this is easier or harder than others. But what I'm inviting you to is a kind of childlike wonder, remembering that Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. And, and I think one of the things that that means is this kind of, this, this open-eyed, open-mouthed, open-hearted, open-eared, receptivity towards joy, this, this uh, horizontal joy of all that God has made and all the goodness in it. And of course, that means, you know, paying attention and looking, whether it's from fresh baked bread to board games, from movies to Costco's mac and cheese, whatever it is, and all the good of this season, don't be afraid to enjoy these things. And of course, at the same time, be wise. Because you see, here's the trick. In the enjoyment of things, if we don't actually have capital J joy, then what we will do is that we will destroy the things that promise to give us joy and destroy ourselves in the process. The great theologian Aquinas said it this way. He said that anyone who doesn't have true spiritual joy, cannot live. And when we don't have spiritual joy, we give ourselves over to carnal pleasures. Have you seen that in your life? I've seen it in my life. That when I'm off kilter in my relationship with God, when I'm cynical and skeptical, then it's so easy to just give myself to carnal pleasures because I'm lacking the true capital J joy that is available. And so enjoy all that God has for you in the world, but be aware and be wise in this horizontal joy that they are meant to direct us up to God, not to be used and abused toward destruction. But there's another kind of joy as well that's really the most important. And that's what we can call vertical joy. That is joy in who God is. You see, Christianity is not just, um, and we're not up here, I'm not up here to like give you some pro tips to live a more positive life. You can get that in a book you buy at the airport but it's not gonna be sufficient. Horizontal joy, true joy, is only possible because of something deeper and greater that we can call this vertical joy, seeing God for who he really is in all his goodness and his kindness and his power and his love. And here's the most important thing I'm gonna say this morning. 
all the good that you have ever experienced and all the good that you long for is actually from and found in God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ, whose birth we're celebrating at Christmas. Let me say that again. All the good that you experience, all that you've ever experienced, all the good that you long for, you know it. You long for goodness. That is not of yourself. It is found in God and him revealing himself in Jesus Christ, whose birth we're celebrating at Christmas. God alone is the source of joy. The one who made you, you did not make yourself. You know that. You know you did not make yourself. And you know you cannot sustain yourself. God is the source of all joy, all the horizontal joys that we experience in creation and relationships with our tongues and ears and eyes and hands and skin and noses. All these are from God and directing us to God. And and God is the source of the joy that is ours from knowing that God is completely and absolutely in control of all that happens to us, good and bad. Nothing can snatch you from God's hand if you're in Christ. No person, no circumstance, no loss. We can have the joy that is ours from knowing that when we are anxious about money, about health, and about relationships, and about our future, that we can actually cast our anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. There's a joy that is ours from knowing that if we feel really alone, if we're maybe filled with regret, maybe some of you today are sitting in the ashes of mistakes you've made, knowing that we can actually turn to God, our Father, and find him welcoming us with a kind and smiling face with his love. There's a joy in knowing that God actually delights in me. Delights. Doesn't just tolerate. Delights. All my desires, all your desires to be truly known, to be seen, to be loved, to be secure, those things that are good and natural desires, those can and will be found in relationship to God the Father through Jesus. And the joy that is ours from knowing that Jesus' entry into the world, what we're celebrating at Christmas, is actually like a big, the beginning of a big, slow, inevitable turning of the entire world and a reversal of the whole curse so that there is a new creation coming when all your desires for fulfillment, your relationships will be healed your body will be healed, tears wiped away, hopes fulfilled, all that you long for. That's what Christmas has inaugurated, this turning of the world back toward good for those who are in Christ. So you see, friends, this is why we say the message of the Bible is good news. It's not just like serious news. And the message of Christmas is good news. Because the joy that you long for, the joy that you need, this profound reality is found and available in who God is for us in Christ. I like how the famous monk Thomas Merton said it. He says, the nativity, that is the birth message, is the message not only of joy, but of the joy. 
the great joy, which all the people of the world have always expected without fully realizing what it was. It's the joy of eschatological or new creation fulfillment, which we seek in the depths of our hearts from the moment that we're beings endowed with conscious life. Now, in the nativity or birth of Christ, the great joy is announced in which all the ambiguities are swept aside and all men are confronted with the clear possibility of a decision that will not only help them to put together the pieces of lives wrecked in individual failure, but will even make sense out of the lives of all men of all time. Friends, we are eight days away from Christmas. And in this time, my prayer on my knees this week for all of you has been that God would open your hearts and ears and mind and mine as well to taste and see the goodness and the joy, the true, deep, satisfying joy that he has for you in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.